Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, hi again, everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us. We thank our friends from the Believe Network for believing in this program, giving us a shot to do it each and every week. We thank Dave Armbruster, our producer-engineer, for all his outstanding work. And we thank our good friend Mike Reed, Country Music Hall of Fame songwriter, former NFL star, who was kind enough to uh, write the music that you hear underneath me right now. Our guest this week and next week is one of the most legendary coaches in the history of college football, Barry Alvarez. Not only a great coach, but you look at what he built at Wisconsin. Now, we, you know, we talk about Wisconsin now. I mean, every year they're ranked in the top 10. They're playing for a Big Ten championship seemingly every year against Ohio State. Uh, but when he took that job in 1990, leaving as defensive coordinator of Notre Dame, Wisconsin football in six seasons before his arrival, six seasons had won a total of seven Big Ten conference games. Four years later, he's got him winning the Rose Bowl. And look at that program now. He's been their head coach, all-time winning as coach. He's been their athletic director, just stepped down last week. Been there in that job since 2004. Our guest is Barry Alvarez. He's up next, and you're dialed in. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services, including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details. Or, for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YESCHNK. Barry Lee Alvarez was born in Langloft, Pennsylvania in 1946, where his grandparents immigrated to the United States from Spain. After graduating from high school, Alvarez played linebacker at the University of Nebraska under Bob Devaney. He started his coaching career at the high school level, spanning seven years in Nebraska, then Iowa. In fact, won a 4A state championship at Mason City High School in Iowa in 1978. 
For the next eight years, he coached under Hayden Fry at the University of Iowa. Then in 1987, he went to Notre Dame, where as defensive coordinator, he helped lead the Fighting Irish to a national championship in 1988 under Lou Holtz. In 1990, Alvarez was named the head coach at Wisconsin. Now, he inherited a program that had not had a winning season since 1984 and over a six-year time frame, six years, won a total of seven Big Ten games. They win that every year now, at least that many. In 1992, his third year, he beat Ohio State. His team lost four games that year by a touchdown or less. The following year in 93, Barry Alvarez and the Badgers steamrolled through the Big Ten and went to the first Rose Bowl at Wisconsin since 1963, and they would win that game beating UCLA 21-16. During Alvarez's tenure, the Badgers won or tied for three Big Ten titles, played in three Rose Bowls, and won them all. Alvarez is the only Big Ten coach ever to win consecutive Rose Bowls and is the only Big Ten coach with consecutive wins over the Ohio State Buckeyes during the Jim Trestle era. He had six seasons of at least nine wins. Now put this into perspective for a minute. Six years of at least nine wins. Prior to his arrival, the Badgers had recorded four of those years in 100 seasons of football. Four of them. He has the longest head coaching tenure, the most wins in Wisconsin football history. In 2004, he became the Wisconsin Athletic Director, and he just stepped down last month. He's a college football Hall of Famer. He's been married to his wife, Cindy, for 53 years. The couple has three children and eight grandchildren. Barry Alvarez, Thank you for joining us. Is, is there anything in that introduction that I missed or perhaps you're most proud of that I should have had in there? No, Tom, you did a great job. I was, I was very interested listening to it. <laughs> Any of that stuff surprise you now when you hear about it from somebody else? You know, you sit back and you reminisce. You like to reminisce, or I have been since I retired. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to go back and, and see what, what we've accomplished. And you think about all the people that were involved and how many people had to contribute to that success. But, you know, fortunately I was able to get a, a, a group that would band together and believe in the things that, uh, that I brought forward. And, and we, we really got a, we had a hell of a ride here. I'll tell you that. I want to go back to Barry, you growing up and, and your grandparents immigrating from Spain and uh, your family lands in uh, Pennsylvania, small coal mining town. What was life like in the Alvarez household growing up? Well, you know, we, my grandmother lived with us. So I, I really, and she was like a nanny for, for, for me and my, my younger brother. Uh, both parents worked. And uh, I learned Spanish before I learned English. Mm. And uh, great cook. Uh, the thing, you know, back then I think about it, thank, God, thank goodness for athletics. You know, I played everything. Uh, really, you know, I was fortunate enough in our community and back in Western Pennsylvania, then, uh, you know, you had a lot of ethnicity, um, you know, a lot of people, the mines were going, the mills were going, a lot of blue collar people and, and their entertainment was their kids, you know, whether it be little league baseball, it was midget football, it was high school football. 
And then back, you know, in the 50s, 60s, um, early 70s, you know, that was a hotbed for, for recruiting sure. in, in football. And, but I, I was fortunate. I had some unbelievable coaches from this time I started uh, Little League Baseball, Midget Football, um, you know, guys that were great mentors and, and really influenced me. And, you know, I, I, I thank athletics to this day for – the life I've been able to, to live. You know, I said the day I retired, I really never worked. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know I grew up in an area where I, I worked in my uncle's grocery store. I'd see guys come in at 8 in the morning. They'd buy a, you know, a little hostess Twinkie or a cupcake for their lunch pail. They'd get on a bus. They'd go work in the mill. Most of them worked in the mill. Mm-hmm. They'd come back later, dirty, um, tired. They'd get off that bus and trudge home. There was one guy that had a suit on. He had a shirt and tie, and he'd jump off that bus and run home. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't very smart, but I could figure out that cat had a college education. <laughs> you know, so I didn't want to do that. You know, a lot of the guys that I grew up with, you, you graduate, you go work in the, in the mill, yep. and hey, you take it. You check off the days. How many days do you have to work before you retire? And I said, you know, I never worked a day in my life as a – as a coach or as an athletic director, I love going to work every day. I didn't feel like it was work. You graduate from high school. You end up at the University of Nebraska. And I have to believe, you know, I mean, look, the world was a very different place back then. I mean, getting on a plane and flying to Lincoln, Nebraska, middle of nowhere uh, from where you're coming from, uh, a football hotbed, no doubt about it. And Bob Devaney's building that whole thing up. But but what was it like getting off the plane and, and, and showing up in Lincoln to play for Nebraska? Well, you know, I, I think that that was the second. My first time on a plane was, was I had a visit to Arizona State when Frank Cush was playing there. That's the first time I was, was on a plane. Second time was my visit to Nebraska. Um, you know, you saw campus. I was actually impressed with campus. I come from a small, you know, the town I'm from is a small town. We'd get into Pittsburgh some, but a small town. I was impressed with the athletics. I was impressed with the people there. The guy that re- was recruiting me, John Melton, was from my hometown. Played at played at my high school. Went to school with my with my mom. You know, so I was familiar with with them and uh, and the program. And back then, Tom, you, you had four bowl games, you know, primarily on New Year's Day. And Devaney had just beaten Bud Wilkinson, broke uh, Oklahoma's stretch. And, they, you know, they, they went to the Orange Bowl when they were recruiting me. And I, I wanted to go to bowl games. I wanted to play bowl games. There, there's no one that enjoyed bowls more than me. And to this day, it's still the same. And I wanted to go there. And, and uh, I knew the program was just, just starting to take off. Um, Lincoln looked fine to me. <laughs> you get out, uh, you become a high school coach. And look, for a lot of guys, that's exactly how your coaching career gets started. I mean, you know, you, you, you get things rolling, and then in a short amount of time, it seems like for a lot of guys, you know, maybe three, four years max, five years max, then all of a sudden you get a, you get a shot to coach uh, collegiately. But you actually coached in high school in two different states for nine seasons, right. did you think that you were actually going to end up as a high school football coach? Well, I, I you know what, uh, from the time I got married, you know, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a college coach. I wanted to take a program. My goal was to take a program 
that was down, build it, sustain it, and end up being the athletic director there. So I still had hopes. You know, I started out as an assistant right there in Lincoln. You know, the those are back in the days. Uh, everybody that graduated from Teachers College, you know, in Nebraska University, uh, they, they applied in Lincoln. Everybody wanted to stay in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. They hire about four a year. And uh, I was lucky. I was I got a job as the head coach, as, as the number one assistant, Lincoln Northeast. Cindy got a job about a, a half a block from the where we lived. You know, we we you know everybody thought we had it made. And then I, you know, after four years as an assistant, I knew that. You know, they they never elevated anyone in Lincoln. You had to you had to be a head coach first. And so, Monty Kiffin, you know that name, oh, Lane's of course. dad. Lane's dad. Uh, a job opened up at his high school, Lexington, Nebraska, in the middle of the state. Monty helped me get the job. I took the job. My wife, Cindy, cried all the way all the way home. And I told her I was going to take the job. It's about three hours from Lincoln, in the middle. Right, you talk about in the middle of nowhere now. Uh, this is right in the middle of Nebraska. And uh, I said, this will be a temporary job. We've got some good players here. and We'll do well. And, and we did. We were second in state. I had a, uh, inherited a group of sophomores, and, and uh, I think we were second in state my first year, second in state, second year. And then out of the clear blue, I wanted to come back. I, had the, I thought I had the best team in the state regardless of class. I think five of the kids that played for me there at Lexington went on and played in Nebraska. And uh, I get a call from Mason City, Iowa. Roger Clough's the superintendent, a Nebraska, Nebraska guy who had just taken this job. And they hadn't won there, and he, he made a change. He said, we've been through three rounds of interviewing. I uh, just want to see if you're interested. And I said, no, nah, not really. <laughs> I'm going to stay here one more year. So he said, come on out. He said, you know, I'll fly you and Cindy out uh, like this weekend. Come on, take a look. And, so I went home, and Cindy says, hey, we don't have anything to do. Let's go. <laughs> so we went. Uh, I interviewed and came back, and, and she said, you know what? That's, that's really, really a nice town. Oh, you know how to win. Let's do that. Well, long story short, yeah, they, they had me come back out, and we ended up taking the job. And, and uh, three years, it, it, took, it took me one year to get things going there. And within three years, we won a state championship. Happened to be the same time Donnie Duncan and, and Aiden Fry had taken jobs at Iowa and Iowa State. And uh, I had some really good players. So they both tried to hire me. I ended up taking a job with, uh, with, with Coach Fry on his first staff. It was a great staff. And uh, that's how we got started. You know, Hayden Fry, um, you know, I mean, anybody who follows college football, they, they know who Hayden Fry is and all the great things he did at, at, at Iowa. But when you really start reading the life story of Hayden Fry, what an amazing guy. I, I, I mean, I, I can't believe that, yeah, there are other great coaches out there that you could have started under in, in your collegiate career, but I can't imagine there would be many any better than Hayden Fry. No, you're right. Very creative, very unique individual. He's different. He did not want to be like everyone else. And, and you know, he always used to talk about his short, his stick was always shorter than everyone else's. So he, he was a little more creative. But, but Hayden was, uh, you know, always very bright. You know, he went to Baylor. Yep. He played for, he played for Frank Broyles, I think. Broyles might have been an assistant there. And when Broyles went to Arkansas, he hired Hayden was uh, in his 20s. And he wanted Hayden to get 
figure out ways to get Lance Allworth the ball. And uh, Hayden then, at 29 years old, took the head coaching job at SMU. That's how young he was when he got started. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and he, he, from an outsider looking in, you know, you think, well, how quirky. This, this guy's a goof. You know, he's wearing white pants, sunglasses all the time. <laughs> right. He's a big, big collared shirts, and he'd say the craziest things. Uh, but I'm telling you, you know, he was a good football mind. Ran a tight ship. You know, you'd think he'd be loosey-goosey. And I remember somebody saying to me, you know, look at that staff you guys are. I bet those are unbelievable staff meetings. I said, let, let me tell you something. There was never any doubt during that meeting who was in charge. <laughs> He he was tough. Now he was a, he was a taskmaster. Yeah, he Texan through and through, uh, and 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 that's where he ended up passing uh, after being born and raised there. Um, your huge break comes in '87. I mean, the Iowa job was a huge break, but I mean, now all of a sudden we're talking Notre Dame. Uh, Lou Holtz hires you to to be one of his defensive assistants. Um, did you know Lou Holtz? How did that whole thing happen? Well, I had uh, I had done. You know, I, I coached against him when he came to Minnesota. I actually visited when I was in high school. A uh, couple of coaches, we went down. Uh, Monty had joined his staff at Arkansas, and so uh, I, I asked if we can come down and watch his practice. But I didn't get. I visited with Lou a little bit, not, not to the point where I knew him. Uh, I recruited against him when I was at Iowa, and he was at Minnesota. Those two years, we went to head to head on a couple guys. Um, but I, I didn't know him that well. I just recruited against him. Some of the guys on his staff knew me pretty well. And, um, you know, after that, his first year there, um, Schottenheimer, Kurt Schottenheimer, mm-hmm. who I played in high school, Kurt and I had known each other for a long time. We ran into each other the last week of recruiting, and he said, you know, I'm going to leave Notre Dame. I'm going to go coach with Marty. I'm going to go into the NFL. That your name came up in a staff meeting. A number of the guys knew you and, and recommended you for my job. Would you be interested? I said, ah, not really. I wasn't looking to leave. Uh, you know, I was happy at Iowa. And then Lou called me and convinced me. He, you know, he called and said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a head coach. He said, you can't be, be one if you stay at Iowa. I said, why not? He said, Bill Brazier's, you know, he's the same age as, as Hayden. He's tried to be a head coach. He hasn't been able to get jobs. He hasn't gone anyplace. You know, to be a head coach, you, you've got to be a coordinator. I won't promise you you'll be one here, but, you know, Foge isn't going to stick around here long. Mm-hmm. He's going to go to the NFL. And uh, he said, I can't promise you anything, but if you're here, you know, you'd have a shot. And, you know, sure enough, after one year, Foge takes off, and uh, uh, Lou interviewed a lot of people. He ended up offering me the job, and, and you know, we go on and win a national championship. You know, you know, t- t- Tony Rice w- was the quarterback of that team, uh, Barry, and and right. you know he was a Prop Forty Eight kid, and and a lot of people don't remember what Prop Forty Eight. The long and short of it was, uh, a kid like Tony Rice today would not get into Notre Dame. You had to sit out a year. Uh, you had to meet certain requirements um, in progressing towards graduation, grade point average, all those kinds of things. I have always felt, and you tell me if you agree with this, maybe you vehemently disagree with this, I have always felt that Tony Rice is everything that Notre Dame should stand for. And because there's no more Prop 48, kids like Tony Rice don't get a chance at Notre Dame. Do you think that's true? Yeah, to a certain extent, I think it's true. I think 
schools have certain standards, academic standards, but you know, one of the reasons, or I think one of the stipulations Lou asked for is to give him, allow him to, his first couple years to give him the leeway for the possibility if he had the right kid and the right personality and someone that, 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 that fit, that, uh, that they would, they would allow him to do that, and I think that's how that went down. But uh, you're right. I think there are certain circumstances. You know, you, you don't know the backgrounds of these kids, and you know that they have tremendous potential. I think they deserve opportunities. At the end of the 89 season, um, the University of Wisconsin calls. Now, for a lot of people listening to this show, and there are a lot of them out there, uh, when you think Wisconsin football and you look at Wisconsin football now, well, it ain't Wisconsin football now back then. I mean, this is truly one of the worst college football programs of a major university in the country. Um, what's the first thing that convinced you to take this job? Because I have to believe, Barry, and you and I have talked about this, there are people telling you, don't even think about this job, right? Including Lou. He said, don't take that job. I but you know what? I had my eye on this job. I, I thought Why? I, I, I thought it was a sleeping giant. Uh, you, I, I like the fact, like Nebraska, you have one one Division One school in the state that's playing football. I knew there was pretty good players, uh, pretty good high school football being played, and a lot of good players. The thing was, none of the players were staying at home. Sure, I had to talk to committed to to Notre Dame at the time. Iowa went to the Rose Bowl that year. They had 11 in their two deep from, from Wisconsin. Mm. The best players were leaving. Um, I knew the coaches here. I had a guy on our staff uh, named Chuck Keeter, uh, was the secondary coach, had played. He uh, was a good player for Shem Beckler at, at Michigan, and, uh, but, but he, he was my secondary coach. At, and he, but he had been here with Dave McLean, and they had some success. He knew the issues here. And he kept me abreast of what, what was needed um, and what, you know, I, I, and I had recruited here. I know the play. I knew the high school coaches. I just think, I just felt like if it was run right, if people were patient to let you get the thing built up, that this, this place, could, there's no reason why this couldn't be, be as good a job as any. And, uh, and I knew I could put a good staff together. So I went after this job. I really wanted this job. You go one in ten the first year. Did you feel like though you saw signs of things starting to change? Yeah, I, I knew. I knew I had them. Uh, the last game of the year, we're playing a very good George Perlis Michigan State team on the road. We've got one win uh, over a good road Ball State team. It was a, Ball State was a good road team, and then we got them at home and. Uh, that was our only win. But we go in there. Have, they've got their bowl game locked up. Um, and our guys play the lights out. We drop a, a little five-yard dump pass or we win the game. And uh, I, I told them after the game, I thanked the seniors for, for not quitting, for, for hanging in there. I promised them, we're, we're going to go to the Rose Bowl. And when we do, I'm going to send you all a watch. And I did. I bought them all Rose Bowl watches and sent them when we, when we went. But I knew I had the kids. They had bought into everything we were doing. They were ready for the out-of-season program. Um, and, and, you know, we had weeded out players who didn't want to play. And uh, I knew we could, we could recruit. Uh, the, the recruits we had on campus were pretty good. A bunch of them were playing as true freshmen. So 
uh, I, I knew right then we were on track. Two years later, uh, you beat Ohio State. Uh, huge upset. Um, and, you know, you, you end up losing. I mentioned earlier, you lose four games by a touchdown or less. You don't make it to a bowl game, but you go five and six. Is that Ohio State win, Barry, for you? And maybe it's not at all. But but was that win for you as big a win as you had for that program at the time and moving it, forward? It was because it showed that we can compete with the big boys. You know, they were a very good team. They were ranked. Um, and, and it was not a fluke. We played well. We really played well. Herbie was the quarterback. Yeah. Um, we got after Herbie pretty good. You know, he likes to tell some stories about those are back in the days when our students were – right over the tunnel where, where the visitors came out. and You know, they'd pepper marshmallows at, uh, at the opposing team, and they'd have to come out with scoop shovels and clean the, the end zones out of the marsh, you know, from marshmallows. <laughs> looked like snowed in there. And, uh, but, yeah, that, that put us on the map. That showed us we could compete with anybody, anyone. And had that, that team been with us uh, for a few years and knew how to win, that was an eight-win team. It really was. And, and uh they just we had just enough guys on there that had questions had questions that wouldn't let us get over the home. You take the Badgers the next year to the Rose Bowl. You win the game. You know, of all the bowls that you can go to, and this was your first bowl game in what was your fourth year now as a head coach at Wisconsin, and the first one you go to is the Rose Bowl. Is there any way to describe what that whole scene was like for you, Barry Alvarez, the, the incredible fans uh, in every sport the state of Wisconsin has, but now all of a sudden, I mean, you guys are going to the Rose Bowl and the first time in forever, and you're going to that venue. It, it, it must have been surreal. It, it was. And, Tom, we had taken the game. We moved the game from Michigan State with Michigan State the clinch going to the Rose Bowl, we had to take our team halfway around the world and play, play Michigan State in Tokyo. If we won the game, we were going to go to the Rose Bowl. So that, that was really a hell of an experience for, for all of us. But uh, going to the Rose Bowl, I'd, I'd coached the two of them at, at Iowa. And, and uh, um, so to go back there, I, stay, I say to this day, the prettiest venue in all of sports. Because it'll take your breath away. If you take that field, uh, the first time you take that field, it just, you know, it's so beautiful mm-hmm. in the mountains and the three palms up over the, the scoreboard. It, it just, it, it's just everything. I mean, you could be in the middle of the first quarter and realize, hey, I'm in the middle of a football game. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. But having experience there and going through those emotions when, as an assistant coach at Iowa and watching – we played Don James's team, and watching how Don James prepared his team as how as compared to what we did, I, I really learned and I studied how Don Don James did what he did and how he how he prepared his team for a bowl game. Um, and then, uh, you know, God bless his soul. You know, Terry Donahue just passed away. Terry yep. kind of helped me. You know, we I met him in New York. Uh, or I'd known him, but we, we visited in, at uh, the Hall of Fame dinner in New York um, early in December, and, and uh, he, we were going to play his team. And he tells me, he says, you know, I, I learned a valuable lesson my first year as a head coach. We weren't picked to do very well, 
and we win the league, and we, we go to a – no, we didn't win the league, but we won eight games. We go to a bowl game, and I, I, I used it as a reward, really didn't think much of it. And then he said, and, I, and then I realized when it started in the spring, every outing you went to, people complained about losing the bowl game. So I put a pre- priority on bowls. And so he, he kind of gave me some ideas, you know, and, and uh, so I kind of tacked all that together. But I, I really used a lot of the things that, that, that I'd watched and observed through, through Don James and prep for that game. So I had really had a good plan for our guys. So even though we hadn't been to bowl games before and our fans were like ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Yo, no not, question about it. Yeah. We had 25,000 outside the Rose Bowl that in, it, many of them had, had uh, been built uh, with uh, bogus tickets. You know, the ticket brokers, mm-hmm. they, they, they'd sell and make a commitment. And then when they saw what they could scalp them for, they just went flaky on our people. But, uh, yeah, it was the state body and all of our fans, everybody wanted to be at that game. Three years later, you sign a kid. I mean, I say a kid. Uh, he, he was a man uh, out of high school in Pine Hill, New Jersey. This is 1996, Ron Dean. He weighs 270 pounds, yet he was the fastest kid in the state of New Jersey. How does Barry Alvarez get Ron Dane to come to Wisconsin? It's my personality, Tom. <laughs> well, I know that ahead of time. Yeah, I, that I'm well aware of. Uh, you know what? We had, I had a, a, a coach on my staff, Bernie Wyatt, who recruited the East Coast. He was there. Uh, I met him at Iowa. Bernie's from Long Island, but he, he was a top recruiter in the East. He was very close with a counselor at that high school, and we had had kids um, from that school. That, and, and once Bernie recruited him, he looked after him. He made sure, you know, that he stayed on top of them. So they graduated; they were happy. And so that guy would send guys to Bernie. But I, one of the things I, I can remember him telling me: the, this was a counselor, and he said, "You know, Ronnie. Ron lived with his 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 uh, uncle and aunt and his cousin." And uh, he, he mentioned something to me about, you know, getting close to Ron. And so I walked in, you know, I walked in that first time, first meeting, and Ronnie will tell you this. You know, he meant, I heard him on t- an interview the other day talking about it. I walked in, and I looked at him, he looked at me, and I just went over and gave him a big hug. And uh, <laughs> he never forgot that. You know, guys going in there shaking hands. I gave him a hug. You know, man, I'm going to, I like you. You know, I said, you like to carry the ball? I'd love to carry the ball. I said, well, I'm going to give it to you a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, a lot of it had to do with with relationships beforehand and trust beforehand and then uh, the connection that we made. You know, you you went back-to-back Rose Bowls uh, with him, and he goes for 246 in one of them, 200 in another, uh, player of the game in both. Uh, You become the only uh, coach in the history of the Big Ten to win back-to-back Rose Bowls. I I remember you sharing with me, uh, not necessarily a Rose Bowl game, but other games where, you know, you're looking at your offensive coordinator and they want to call something else. And you're like, why in the world would we call anything else except turn around and hand the ball to Ron Dane? Right. 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 I remember Brad Childress. Last time I was with Brad Childress, he's laughing. He said, someone had just asked me how many times did coach overrule you in a place? And not many. He said, but he said, I can remember one time we talked before a game we game planning. And he said, you know, coach, we, we haven't thrown on first down, in the red zone all year. 
everybody's loading up on us. They know we're going to give it to Ronnie. And uh, so we plug it down the field. You know, we're first and goal at the, at the four, and he calls play action. He said, you jump on that phone. No, 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 no. Just hand the ball to Ron. Let's not screw around here. Let's not get crazy. He said, so we just hand it to Ron. He walks in the end zone, you know. Did, did, didn't you have a game where you didn't you have a game where you gave him the ball like the first fifteen or seventeen or eighteen plays of the game? Oh hell, that's most of the time. But we went a stretch when he was a freshman. This is no kidding. You can go back and check this. He carried the ball, for, if I'm not mistaken, something like this: forty-seven times, forty-nine times, maybe forty-nine times again, or maybe fifty. Three straight games. Wow. And, Averaging, you know, nearly 50 yards or 50 carries a game. He tried, he pat himself on the head. He wanted to come out. I said, no, one more first. <laughs> and then you can come out. <laughs> In 2005, uh, you go 10 and three and you, you decide to retire. Why? You know, I was doing both jobs then. Um, you know, sometimes it, it, I saw things happening on our staff. I thought, you know, I had guys on my staff that had been there a long time. I uh, thought some guys, you know, were getting complacent, you know, and and, uh, and and felt entitled. I had a good young assistant in Brett Bielema that I thought could do a good job. Um, you know, it was it, it was wearing on me doing both jobs. I knew I was going to have to make a decision, either stay with football uh, or, or do the athletic director job. And... Uh, so I felt it was it was time to step back. I was afraid of what was, you know. I had a great team coming back. I, you know, I, you know Brett thought he did a great job. He, he won eleven. I said I think Cindy could have won ten. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same group. That was a good team. We gave him, we 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 handed off. But uh, I just thought it was time. It was time to do it. You're the all-time winningest coach at Wisconsin, but 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 I don't think uh, to me that's not the headline. I, I don't know if you feel this way looking back, and you mentioned you had a lot of people helping you, but to me, it's it, it's building what you built. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, Tom. I, I the thing that to me, uh, okay, we turned it around, but sustaining it is even harder. You know, you you have to overcome complacency you have to overcome you know a, a lot of different things and you have to always try to keep getting better because everybody's taking a look at your program just like i took a look when i took the job you know i had coached in a big 10 i looked at ohio state i looked at michigan if you want to win the league you want to go to the rose bowl you got to beat those teams and you got to figure out a way to that, that you can beat them so that's what people were doing to us you know how, how can we beat go out there and beat Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you know, now, so to sustain that level for as long as we have now, you know, and you mentioned that, you know, what we accomplished here in football and basketball, our basketball team hadn't been to the, to the tournament since the forties and they go the first time in 93. And then, you know, and that's the same year that we go to the Rose bowl. And from that point on to, to present time, we had more more bowl appearances and NC2A basketball appearances than anyone in the country. It's amazing. You know, so that's what makes me proud, that we're able to sustain it and build a culture within our department, you know, and, and it was inherent with, you know, the other, the other coaches and the other teams and how they went about their business 
and how they played and the type of players that we would recruit and how they would compete this level, you know, to build that consistency, man, that's hard. All right, Barry, I'm going to ask you to sit tight for one more week because next week we will discuss the college football playoff. Barry Alvarez, you were one of the original members of that committee when it replaced the BCS uh, a number of years ago. Now it's going to expand to 12 teams and where all that's going. And what about players getting paid? What about conference realignment? We will talk about all of these things with Barry Alvarez in part two of our conversation with the former Badgers head coach next week. We thank Dave Armbruster, our engineer. We thank the Believe Network, and we thank you for joining us. I'm Tom Brenneman. We'll catch you next week on Dialed In. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.